Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If that sounds like your sort of party, why not bring a packet of crisps or potato chips and your cheapest bottle of wine over and join me and some of the finest product thought leaders and practitioners in the world on OneNightInProduct.com, where you can sign up to the mailing list, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, or follow the podcast on social media, and guarantee you never miss another party invite again. On tonight's episode, we talk about getting stuck maintaining someone else's code base, not seeing any other tools out there to help you out, and building your own, only to find out that there's an even wider problem you can help solve and some of the ways you might try to shift focus how to find product market fit for the second time, and how to set your teams up to keep two different sets of users happy. We also wonder if there's anything to the cliche that tech firms just hire from the same exclusive club of candidates, and whether high-profile foundations make that problem better or worse. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Products. So, my guest tonight is Matt Arbersfeld. Matt's an MIT graduate, entrepreneur, and Teal fellow. Matt's passionate about building companies and great products, and also cooking and fitness, which, depending on what you're cooking, seems to be a bit in opposition. Speaking of which, Matt's keen on removing opposition between engineering and product management and helping teams make good data-driven decisions, which he's doing his best to enable as the founder and CEO of LogRocket, which is looking to empower software teams to create the ideal web and mobile product experience. Hi, Matt. How are you tonight? Uh, doing well. Yeah, have my tea ready. So excited to chat. Yeah, no, it's always good to have a, a nice enabling tea to get you through the ordeal that tonight will be. Instead of the British accent, I need to, I need to channel <laughs> my English roots. So There you go. I'm sure we can get you doing a British accent by the end of the interview. But before that, let's take it from the top. You are the co-founder and CEO of LogRocket. So apart from the tagline, which I read earlier, what problem does LogRocket solve for me? Yeah, we help our customers build the best possible web and mobile experience. And what we found... Hey, that was the tagline. You can't say that. You have to say something different. Well, yeah. So what we found as web engineers and product developers and designers, really difficult to understand what are the pain points and issues my customers were having using my software. And you just launch a product and people would give you some feedback, but it would really be in the dark about what's going wrong, where are people struggling, what issues are they having? And so we developed LogRocket to give our customers and ourselves, honestly, the full understanding of what's going on and, and where you can make and improve your online experiences. Right. That's interesting, though, because if you say you're building it for yourselves, like what was it that you, you, know, that you can't build LogRocket to track nothing? You must have had some other kind of product or application that you were building before that. Was it that you were building some other tool, realized this was a pain point, and then build LogRocket and then that just became the thing? Or did you kind of run both? Or have you still got both? Or did it all get rolled into one? Like, How did that play out? Yeah, good question. So I was an engineer action intern at a startup. And I inherited this code base, a really old code base it used Backbone.js. <laughs> and I think we've all been in that those shoes of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I think the first day I even got there, there was some issue a customer had. And they sent a screenshot to my CEO at the time who then forwarded me this email. And I'm there. I have no idea about the code base. I see just a screenshot of this issue. I'm pulling my hair out trying to figure out what happened. And so it actually took many months later when it dawned on me that problem that could actually be solved. But that was seeing that experience is, is what inspired the original version of LogRocket. Yeah, that's fair enough. And obviously, it's a problem that many people have, and especially if you start talking to CS people and 
other people that are trying to maintain the quality of service of the products sort of going through the customer life cycle. But it feels like a really competitive space. Like there are a lot of tools out there these days that do that kind of thing. I'm not quite sure how many of those were around back in 2016 when you started, but surely there must have been at least some temptation to just go and use one of those tools instead rather than go out and build your own. So what was it that made you feel that you could go out and tackle this problem in a way that maybe some of these other tools couldn't handle? Yeah, back in 2015, it was definitely a much different environment. And my background actually prior to that company, I worked at Google on the Chrome JavaScript team, and then a company called Meteor that was building JavaScript frameworks. And so there was all this new stuff happening in front of development, like React and Angular and Vue. And so all the tools that existed were more focused on designers and product people to watch what users were doing, but not at getting to the technical details of what went wrong. So that combining that pain point I had with that background of working with front-end developers is why we felt like there was a big need for developers specifically. Right. And you're kind of up against these days, I assume, people like Pendo and Amplitude to some degree. We also talked about people like Full Story before as part of your competitive landscape. So is it really those kinds of people that you're up against, or are you also up against more technical tools that people might use to do some kind of platform debugging as well? The way I think of it is typically customers will have a technical monitoring tool like a Datadog or uh, New Relic. Yeah. And then they'll also have an analytics tool like Google Analytics or Amplitude or Pendo. And we sit in between those and connect data from all these sources. So most of our customers will have one of each of those parts of the stack. So our direct competitors tend to be companies like Full Story or Smartlook and they integrate us with a tool like Appendo Amplitude. So you started the company back in, well, you say 2015, I guess, was when you started having the problem. I think the company itself came around 2016, if I did my research properly. And like you said, before that, you had a few internships at places like Google, places like Meteor, Clara Labs. So starting out in engineering before going into what looks kind of like more of a marketing type role. Is it literally that you went from a bunch of internships into founding your own company. Like that's a big leap, right? How did how did that happen? So Logwork is actually the I believe the third company I've started. So I had a couple okay. of failures. I would call it failures along the way. But <laughs> in college, I think where most people are going to class or or partying, my friends and I were building applications or mobile apps or games, and so had a couple other apps we built, and so that was what. My friend Ben and I, who is my co-founder here at LogRocket, we've known each other since we were about a month old. Oh, wow. And after work, we'd go home and we'd be building software products together. And so that's that's how we, during school and during work, we were able to start and develop the product and then and launch it. But yeah, it's it, it, it happened along school and then we ended up finishing school and then went full-time in the company about yeah six six and a half years ago at this point. So you're both effectively technical founders then. Did you find that either of you had any of that kind of business acumen from the start that you would feel that you'd need to build a startup? Or did you have to get mentorship or coaching to do that? Or did you just kind of work it out as you went? I mean, you talked about your couple of failures, but I guess they were pretty early on. But but how did you build those business muscles on top of the engineering credibility that you already had? Yeah. So we actually started our first business in the second grade. Oh, okay. I'm not sure we'll count that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> we, we've always uh, been entrepreneurial um, in terms of 
knowing just as important as building a great product is how you get it to customers and sell it and market it. And so we've always had interest in bringing products to market. So both Ben and I, we love sales and marketing. And actually, alongside starting the product, we started a blog for for front developers, the LogRocket blog. And without that, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are today. So really, it's been both uh, sales and marketing focus as well as the product focus that has gotten us here. But we kind of touched on it earlier. You didn't really start this tool for product people to do product analytics stuff, right? It was originally aimed at engineers and kind of turned into the product analytics stuff later. So what was the specific original goal of the product as you saw when you started this all up? I mean, you talked a little bit about the pain points you were having, but specifically what problem were you looking to solve and for specifically who? The first problem we were solving was specifically for that front-end engineer who's there's an issue. You can't figure out what happened. Your CEO is complaining, saying something's wrong. How do you understand what happens to that customer? What we found, though, is that over time, more and more product people were coming to the platform and we were asking, what are you doing here? They would say, well, my Google Analytics is showing a drop in conversion rate or people are not using this feature. Why is that happening? And so they'd watch hundreds and hundreds, thousands of sessions. Some people even referred to us as they watch us more than Netflix. They'd watch so many sessions. <laughs> so we that's when we realized there's actually a lot of value here for also those product personas or or even engineers who care about product. Yeah, that's that's interesting, that kind of additional richness that you can bring to the the hard numbers that you can get out of some of these analytic tools. But you also touched on how it was enabling a very technical issue analysis as well. So obviously it was originally aimed at, say, front end developers they obviously are going to get a lot out of watching people rage clicking around pages and stuff like that. But were you able to somehow bring technical and framework stuff out to them so they could actually see some of the stuff that was going on? I mean, I guess you could argue things like just the console logs or whatever, but like, was there more richness that would bamboozle maybe your average product manager, but was super interesting for those front end developers? Exactly. So we we capture a lot of detail from frameworks like React and Redux and Angular and capturing performance metrics. So how much memory are you using on the front end? Or are there any slow transitions as you click through buttons and jank? So a lot of in-depth debugging and, and performance information for developers as well. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. But then at some point, you must have sat there or sat there with your founder, your co-founder and said to yourself, hey, we need to pivot. And I know you touched on earlier that you'd seen other people using it too. So was it a case where you actually felt that you had to do an actual pivot and say, change the focus of the company, change the focus of the product and effectively make those product people your main market? Or was it more of a kind of a false pivot where you were just adding additional markets or additional use cases on top of what you already had? Like, what was the point where you realized that there was something there that you needed to maybe switch it up a bit? Yeah. Good question. It probably came at some year transition where we were thinking, what do we build this year? And <laughs> and we, we talk, like I think any great product people, most of your time is spent talking to customers and understanding their needs. And yeah. we heard consistently, I love the sessions, but I use it more reactively. And I, I want to be more proactive and, and find issues before customers report them. And so we heard that both from product people who were looking at design and usability issues, and also from engineers who were trying to find errors and performance issues and technical issues. 
And so we looked at how do we surface these aggregate metrics to customers and, and help people surface problems. So we saw an opportunity to not only further the feature set for our core audience, but that same feature set would also be valuable to a new persona being the product persona. And so that's, that felt like the right investment where we get kill two birds with one stone. We can keep deepening our core persona, but we can also add this new product manager persona and expand there. Right. So it wasn't necessarily a pivot, so to speak. It was much more of an expansion and using what you've got, as you say. But one of the things that occurred to me while you were talking there was that if we go back to our point about all that technical information, like there could be quite a lot of information in that tool or quite a lot of stuff that you surface that is completely at best irrelevant, but at worst, completely confusing and frustrating for people that maybe don't have some of that technical background or the deep technical background actually writing the code. So did you just kind of brush that under the carpet, figuratively speaking, or is there some other way that you've handled that to make sure that you've, for example, got a compelling user experience for the people that don't need that stuff waved in their face? Great question. And we struggled that for a while where <laughs> you'd be a non-technical user and you'd, you'd go into the tool and be like, what the heck is happening? So much <laughs> errors and URLs and performance data, and it would just be overwhelming. And so we've made a big investment. And we see our customers do this as well in design and usability and even personalization. How do you tailor the experience to that persona that you're, that you're trying to appease? So that work has really benefited our customers and kudos to the team who's, your logger team who's designed and built a great UX around that addresses both those technical personas and the more business focused users. Yeah, it's interesting because it's, you sometimes get the feeling that UX and design is one of the least things that people are actually thinking about when they're building some of these developer-focused tools, right? So we've all seen or logged into some of these back-end tools that you can look at to work out what's going wrong with whatever system and just in either it's almost just like a console window just in a browser or it's just like the most complicated technical thing. Like, Did you always have a good design sensibility from the start or was that something as you kind of touched on there that you had to actually reinvent and rebuild whilst you were kind of in flight? Yeah, we've always been a design-focused company and caring about design. I'd say, actually, in high school, I thought I'd be a Pixar animator. That was my, <laughs> that was my uh, intended career goal. So I've always loved oh, creating and, and more. Exactly. What, what happens? <laughs> you know, so I always have loved creative pursuits and, and and that log rocket, we help people who are building applications. And so that's always kind of making high quality experiences has always been important to me throughout my life. But definitely as a product matures and you have so many users and so many features have, we've made a big investment in design and UX and we see our customers do this as well. So just as a, as people who use software day in, day out, we no longer put up with those negative experiences <laughs> if we're checking our bank account or we're buying buying something online or even using business software, we all expect to have amazing experiences. Like we won't put up with negative experiences. And so I think design and UX and product is more important now than ever and we'll just keep growing in importance. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the old cliche of that type of design lack of sensibility in this day and age is just completely ridiculous because like we're all using, as you say, all these great apps all the time anyway, and we need to have some of those design patterns brought in. I remember working with a UX guy on one of my old products in an old job, and it was a B2B platform, but 
all of the designs that he used to come up with for new product features or new bits of UI or whatever, he'd always steal things like bits of screenshot for like really early prototypes from like consumer sites and stuff like that. And I always used mm-hmm. to make fun of him for doing that, like oh, taking that mobile phone shop site widget to put on my app or whatever, just to show me what it could look like. But then you start to realize there's actually quite a strong point to that because it's showing you how some of that really optimized consumer design thinking can actually be inserted into your own B2B product and kind of raises the bar for you a little bit as well. So definitely agree that it's a critical thing to do. But obviously to do this pivot or this expansion, you've got to do some level of due diligence to make sure that's actually going to work. And this is something that I'm assuming a lot of companies wrestle with throughout their expansion and growth to make sure that they're actually doing the right thing and they're not going to throw loads of money down the drain for no reason. So what kind of due diligence did you have to do to actually be confident to execute the move into product analytics alongside the front-end analytics you were doing before? Yeah. Some people ask me what's the hardest, one of the hardest things in product. And I think the only thing harder than developing the first thing for product market fit is finding your second second phase (laughs) of product market fit. Yeah. I think something a lot of product managers struggle with is you have a core product doing really well and the business says... We need to expand our customers or we need to drive additional purchase. Yeah. What do you build? And so you build stuff, but people don't really use it. You don't know why. And so I think there's a huge problem. And the way we tackled that was I would love to call it scientific. We were much smaller when we actually made that change, but we ended up making prototypes for a lot of what we were building. We ran user interviews asking how much people would buy. And the biggest thing is we, wanted to make an argument for ourselves of why this had to exist and why it had to be LogRocket. And that's yeah. something we did for the first product is we wrote a memo saying, if I'm a customer, this is how I'm thinking about the problem. This is the job I'm trying to solve. And this is why only LogRocket can solve it. And I can't go to X, Y, and Z to solve this problem. And so we wrote that argument. We convinced ourselves it was true and we committed to it because <laughs> with any new product, people are going to question it today's end because they have excuses and that happened for our first product, but having that argument and, and knowing that this is true for this set of people gave us conviction to keep going down that path. So that's what we did. And, and yeah, it's definitely worked out for the second product now. But have you then built like additional teams around the different use cases that you might have to serve or are you serving all through one? Because I'm seeing, for example, there could be roadmap clashes when you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, we need to build xyz feature for the developer audience and abc features for the product audience and yeah who wins in that situation so have you managed to kind of lay the teams out around those different value streams effectively or is it still kind of a seesaw act where you're trying to balance the needs of the competing or potentially competing user bases in the early days we uh, to your point tried with one huge team i think it was 15 <laughs> engineers or something on on a single four team pizza and team or something like the that. four pizza team which yeah exactly it's too many pizzas needed so <laughs> to your point it's hard to very hard to balance and you'd end up going where the squeakiest customers went so beginning in 2021 we split out to two teams each focused on one use case and that was very beneficial to have that focus and i think in general across all parts of the business finding ways to keep teams focused on solving one problem or, or maybe two problems at the most has yeah. benefited us enormously. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Focus is key. But I'm assuming you use LogRocket on LogRocket. So you have a full view of how people are using your own software. So you're really dog food into the max and you've not had to go and 
like you've not installed full story on your site, for example. But one of the points of using a platform like yours is to enable data-driven decision-making. So you're using that data to enable you to make good decisions about the future of the product and where you might want to focus your efforts. So I guess one question that arises from that is, has there been a really key decision that you've made using the data that you collect on your own application? Like what sorts of decisions has that helped you to make that has enabled you to make good decisions for the business? Yeah, I, I can't imagine how we'd build good products without having having LogRocket because... Well, it's just gut feeling, right? Yeah, gut feeling, exactly. Uh, but I, we've all been there where you design something and people are just not using it as much as you'd like. Or you launch a new, say, on, onboarding flow and people are not engaging. And that is a, every time we launch a new feature, we're all in LogRocket watching hundreds of sessions. <laughs> and, and then you can... It's, it's amazing when, whenever that... Go, we use feature flagging. So we'll turn on the flag. Yeah. And... Within minutes of that going out and, and people start using it, we'll have 10, 20, 30 linear tickets in our task management tool to, to fix UX issues that we've noticed. <laughs> so the amount of the, the speed of the feedback loop and the amount we built to get the products to be, be excellent on a UX and design and engineering perspective, I'd say every product, it's benefited us. Yeah, one specific experience... And this is a little more on the technical side, but we we launched a new onboarding flow where probably we've all built these where customers come in, they fill out some information, they click next, next, next. And there was one specific step where we noticed a big drop in conversion. And we were like, that should not, people should not leave. That's a very simple step. And so with LogRocket, we were actually able to identify there was a specific backend request that was very slow for customers as it was going through that that flow. And we were able to go to the engineering team, address that issue, and then conversion rate went back to normal. And so that's where we see a lot of value for our customers is when they launch some kind of new flow, the results are not quite what they expected. And they're digging in to understand the why behind that. Yeah, as you were talking now, I was imagining this kind of war games, NASA style video wall with like 150 screens on it, all looking at different sessions so that you could see all this stuff happening in real time. It'd be like the ultimate 24-7 news experience or something like that. I'm hoping you're going to build that once everyone's back in the office. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that could be the third product. The, the, the war third room. Product. Uh, yeah, I like that. Well, you say that. Actually, I did see one BI tool once that has the most pointless but also most glamorous looking data warehouse part of the application where you, rather than just having a, a table with a list of stuff with showing you the status of data loads or whatever, everything's got a 3D rotating, almost holographic looking it's like, I bet that demos fantastically for every single person they ever show the application to. Completely useless, but my God, did it look amazing. So you never know, that video wall could work. Yeah, no, I, I think eye candy for products is important as well. We Just <laughs> like to make the consumer reference again, just like we choose the shoes based off what looks well, I, yeah. you know, even now, which has a, the prettier interface and the, the best visualizations. I had a better shine. But given the fact that your tool offers screen recordings and analytics and originally came from the engineering world, there's stuff there that can hit, as far as I can tell, all parts of the classic product trio. So there's stuff in there for UX people to use, there's stuff in there for product managers to use, there's stuff in there for engineers to use. So do you think that a tool like that can really help to bridge some of the gaps that sometimes appear between those teams? Because, of course, no one wants disconnected teams, right? You talked before about how you want to kind of bring teams together more. Do you think a tool like LogRocket can really help to bring those teams together and help them make decisions together? 
Yeah, absolutely. If you, I think a lot about you look at what happened in the backend space, and there's now this DevOps movement that's connecting the operations people and the developers. And so yeah. we're seeing something very similar when it comes to product people and engineers is when you're a product person, you're responsible for the experience in general, not just yeah. the features that are going out. It's, is it performance? Is it usable? Is it, are there errors? So as a product person, you are just as responsible for the technical stuff as your engineers and, and as, and for the design. And so bringing all that data together in a unified platform is so important to build the best possible user experience. And so silo data, just like in DevOps, it doesn't work when you're thinking about product experience. Yeah, absolutely. But you said before this, along the same theme, that you think it's important to, quote, unify engineering and product. Now, some might say, and I might even agree with them, that you want to have a really good collaborative relationship, but ultimately keep it separated and develop almost like a healthy creative tension between the product and engineering functions rather than having it all kind of subservient one way or the other. But just to clarify, what do you mean by unify engineering and product? And why do you think it's so important? Yeah, absolutely. And I, for what it's worth, I agree with you completely that if engineering and product are not clashing a little bit, you're probably not <laughs> building the best products. But what's important, at least in my mind, is that you should be working from the same source of truth of information. And yeah. if the product people are saying, oh, our analytics data is saying this, and the engineers are saying, no, it looks like it's working well, you just can't make good decisions together. It's like, in any relationship, you need to have the same values. For product engineering, you need to be working the same data or else you can't. Then you're just disagreeing at a fundamental level. And so when I talk about unification, it's about using the same data and, and making decisions off the same set of ground truths. But absolutely, I, if you're not sort of, I wouldn't say arguing, but sort of uh, have tension with your <laughs> engineering leader as a product leader, there's probably something that you should, you should think about more. <laughs> <laughs> But you're also a Teal Fellow, as in Peter Teal and the Teal Foundation. Now, we've all heard of Peter Teal, but what does a Teal Fellowship give you and how has it helped you join your Log Rocket journey? Yeah, so for those who don't know, the, the Teal Fellowship is basically a program that says college isn't necessary. You can start a great business before college or you can drop out of college. And college is basically slowing us down from pursuing innovation in the world. So, Peter Thiel started the Thiel Fellowship to essentially invest in potential entrepreneurs to start businesses and in some ways prove his hypothesis. And so actually Ethereum, for example, was started by a Thiel Fellow oh, or Figma, dear. for those who know, was a Thiel Fellow. So it's been a great program and a great community of people who you also are started companies in their youth and um, have been able to kind of commiserate together on all the challenges <laughs> of starting a business. So there's kind of a strong community that you've kind of built up around that? And do you kind of give each other then support? And I'm assuming there's no funding or anything like that. Was it more of a mentorship thing rather than like a funding type circle? So it's a, they give you a small amount of actually a fully grant. So they don't even invest in the company. It's a grant, a no strings attached grants. Right. And so that was great for starting out the business, sort of not needing initial funding off the bat. Yeah. But the most value I've gotten absolutely is from that community. and then. Almost like if you go to like Harvard or MIT, it's kind of a stamp of approval. It's nice <laughs> to have that you, like legitimacy and helps with some you know, recruiting or customer relationships when you have that kind of stamp there. Yeah, there's kind of a dark side to that kind of closed club of 
colleges and and like the kind of you kind of get these arguments around all these people that are only hiring people from the same three universities or something like that and that's their idea of like it has to be that because if it's not that then it's not gonna be good enough but that obviously then potentially locks out a bunch of people from different backgrounds you may be going to get into those colleges so is that something that you feel i mean i don't know how your company's laid out but like is, is that something that you feel is is still going on and something that some of these fellowships either contribute to or can help with or do you is that not something that you've seen yourself yeah i think that's a a great point of something like harvard obviously costs a ton of money the great thing with skill fellowship it's should if it's designed well it should be purely merit-based and so yeah i think it's a great opportunity to your point of letting people from all backgrounds and all sort of use use their merit and ability rather than their access to sort of uh get get more options in life and so uh, that's something like as we as we recruit in our company we look for that a lot is not necessarily where they came from or did they even graduate college but more their ability and in a yeah a more objective way to to measure someone's skill and ability to contribute to the the overall business uh, data driven decision making again but speaking of which what's one piece of advice you'd give someone today with whether they're a client of yours or not someone who's wanting to make a few better informed data informed decisions that they can you know some way that they can get started in doing that and getting down that path of not just doing everything by gut it definitely depends on the problem you're trying to solve and uh sort of the the area you're working with but you know, absolutely log rocket could be a, a great solution for you but there's i'd say the first thing for any product person the best data always comes from talking to customers so if you're not talking to customers and understanding at least the initial problem, that's always the starting point and then understanding, yeah. okay, what else do I need beyond that to, to really fully understand the customer problems? But how do you then recommend bringing that together? Because of course, you then got the qualitative data, you've got the quantitative data that you capture, but then also kind of the somewhere in between when you're talking about the screen recordings as well, right? Because you can go in there and it's effectively like watching a UX focus group, but just done at scale, right? So like, how do you or have you been in a situation where you've kind of tied that together from front to back? So like where you've spoken to people about a thing, you've maybe built the thing, maybe even checked to see how those people then dealt with the thing and try and get that unified data experience from front to back? Or is it always more tactical than that based on what you're looking at at the time? So we recently started redesigning one of our areas of the product and what inspired that is we were talking to a product customer actually, and and we said, "Oh, do you use this feature set?" And we had them open up their screen and walk through it. They said, "Oh, this is confusing, or I don't know what this means." Or, and so we then went and watched a bunch of session replays of that persona, and we saw a very similar struggle with a lot of those users. And so we were able to build fifteen, twenty examples of that same problem that this one customer had had explained on the call, and we were able to even build out analytics around that of how long was it taking people to use this or how often were they using it. So we had a narrative all the way from here's a specific user who had a problem. Here are 20 actual videos of that problem. And then here are actual stats that back it up. And we were able to form this great narrative that we were could go to the engineers with, go to the other executive team. And once you see that kind of story, you don't you don't reject it. It's you you get the investment yeah. or you get the you get the resources. And so I think if you're if you're someone in that position where you're proposing 
what to work on. It's great to have all those data sources working together to build the best possible story. No, absolutely. And where can people find you after this if they want to talk about LogRocket or Teal Fellowships or any of the other topics we've spoken about tonight? Yeah, so you can go to LogRocket.com. I'm also on Twitter, so feel free to direct message me. I'm not on Instagram yet. I'm not that. I'm not that young, unfortunately. Just wait for TikTok. Not, yeah, no TikTok. So um, yeah, feel free to for tweet at me or tweet at Law Record or or direct message me. But always happy to chat product or if you have any ideas you want to run by me, love to interact with entrepreneurs and product people and engineers. Fair enough. I'll make sure to link that in, and hopefully you get a few people adding you on Twitter and bugging you to get on Instagram and TikTok. Well, that's been a fantastic chat. So obviously really happy to have some of your time to talk about some of the important issues around making good data-driven decisions and some of the ways you might do that. Uh, Hopefully we can stay in touch. But yeah, as for now, thanks for taking the time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jason. Good to talk. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com Check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favourite podcast app and make sure you share with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night.